All right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Muslims Love Podcast. I am your host, Nakia Monet, and we are here to have the conversation, to continue the conversation uh, into mental health, mental wealth, and the road to healing. Uh, today, I got three special guests with me. We got Gail. Say hi, Gail. Hello, everybody. You know, I'm, I'm getting my setup all set up, so I'm, I apologize if I'm not looking at the camera right now. Come on and get the setup set up, okay? We got Marcus. Hey, uh, how's everybody doing? And we got Damon. How y'all doing? And today, you know what? What I want to start with is I want us to uh, start with a brief introduction. If, if all of y'all could pretty much introduce yourselves, tell the people about yourselves, who you are, um, and also um, why you actually decided to join in on this discussion. So um, Gail's still getting her setup set up. So Marcus, we're going to start with you. I think I'm always first. <laughs> <laughs> That's because the people love you, Marcus. You know you, you know you they teddy bear. The people love you. So go ahead. So um, my name is Marcus Sampson. Um, I work in a mental health field in different capacities. Um, I've been doing this for maybe 10 years. I stopped counting. Um, when you're in this field, you stop counting, in my opinion. Um, my, my passion is to help uh, the people who, who people might deem as unreachable, um, whether that's youth or adults. I've worked with both. I've worked with seniors. I've, I've worked in uh, people with not only um, what we would say uh, emotional uh, disorders or however you, whatever the correct terminology is, but people with physical disorders. Um, you name it, I've probably done it. Um, I love this field. This field is very interesting. Um, it's it's very, it's not as taboo as people think it is. It's only taboo when you realize that's what you're experiencing and you could have gotten help a lot sooner than what before you seeked out for it. Mm-hmm. I like that. Damon? Um, my full name is Damon Avenger. I'm a licensed social worker. I've been a social worker 11 years, but I've worked with kids for um, like 19 years. Um, I stumbled into this field. My son, he'll be 19 in a couple of weeks. He was born with autism. I didn't really know how to deal with a person with autism. So I took some social work classes and I was kind of good at it. And the teachers were, oh, you're going to be a great social worker. I looked at them like they were crazy. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Because in my head, social workers are people that just blah, 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 blah. And please forgive me because I'm, as, as the kids say, I'm still urban and I'm outside. So I, I, I speak with a lot of slang and I curse a lot. So y'all forgive me. So I might be profane. So that's all right. Still within social work. I love it though. I don't want to do anything else other than be a social worker. And therapist, like I don't work. I, I play Uno, Connect Four, and talk all day. And I have a couple of jobs. Um, I work in a high school, work with um, people with um, emotional disturbances, and I'm from a psych ward and who work in special ed. Then I work um, in a clinic, working with people um, from ages six to sixty. So I'm a little older than that, and I work with um, um, young adolescents and young adults with um, criminal justice history in the artist program. And um, I hustle on the side for myself as a social emotional coach, helping people 
because the third therapy throws mm. people off because you know it's a stigma behind it. But mm -hmm. I always tell them, best to talk about it than being your bag. You know, so I'm talking too much, so forgive me. <laughs> I mean, I agree. Gail, go ahead, introduce yourself. So I'm Gail. Um, I I am currently a student at Purdue Global University studying to get my bachelor's in psychology with a focus in applied behavior analysis. Um, I probably will end up becoming a licensed, a licensed clinical social worker, um, but I got into this journey because I was a teen parent advocate here in Philadelphia, working with parenting and pregnant uh, youth. And one of the things that we had to learn was child development. And we were doing early diagnosis for children for autism. So we did a thing called ASQ. Um, during that journey, I ran across the famous therapist, his name is, or psychologist, his name is, uh, Dr. Bruce Perry, and he has a book called uh, The Child That Was Raised as a Dog. Mm. And when I listened to the story of the child that was raised as a dog, it was about a, a young uh, baby boy who um, parents hired a nanny, which was a family member, and that family member left that child in the crib, in the crib for eight hours a day. She, in return, went to go get another job. Um, and so she would get in right before the parents came in and um, change the child and feed the child. And one day the parents so happened to come in before the nanny did and found the child sitting in his own feces, hungry, crying. Um, and he talked about the therapy and he talked about when he got the young man at the age of 17, he he operated or he engaged as a five-year-old boy. And one of the key points that he said was that you have to take the child back to the time of the trauma to get them healed. And that key point stuck out to me um, from that time. And that is one of the, one of the many reasons that I've engaged into this field. That's really good. And I like how each person engaged into the field um, personally, right? Damon, it was due to, you know what I'm saying, your, your son. Gail, it was due to you reading a story. That's a personal, um, I'm not gonna say like a personal effect, but that's like a personal affinity to why. And then, and Marcus, you know, you engage into it. Um, just, <laughs> yeah, I'm mute, Marcus. Just because. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, but that's good, though. You know what I'm saying? I am interested in it because it has affected my life. Right. So and I believe that when something affects your life, it is your duty and it is your job to openly discuss it because it affects your life. And I probably would have never even thought that it truly did affect my life, but it did. And it just hit me like, boom. So now I'm here like, bam, and let's get this conversation started. So I really wanted to have a conversation about mental health um, and mental health awareness um, just due to the fact that I believe that it is important. I don't believe that it is as taboo as it used to be, like Marcus said. 
I believe that, like Marcus said, it is taboo to those who um, did not know they were affected and then they realize that they are affected by it and now they are seeking help and now it's like, oh my God, you know? But I don't believe that it has the stigma that it used to have, you know, especially within the black community, uh, like how it used to, you know, it, it was always taught to us, like, no, we deal with our issues, okay? We don't need to speak to nobody about nothing. You're going to handle this. And I think that a lot of that... Um, the mentality of just handle this is what has crippled us. If y'all want care to, you know what I'm saying, chime in on that. Wait a minute, somebody got Mr. Swift. Mr. Swifty is out right now. Okay. That's all I'm gonna say. Okay, go ahead. Anybody wanna chime in on that? Anybody, it don't matter who, just jump. Um Working in this field, it's, like you said, it's, it's, the stigma is not as bad as it used to be, but working with young kids, is, it's, it's, it's still bad because so many of them say they'd rather talk to their friends than rather talk to a therapist. And I will always tell them, your friend can throw it in your face if y'all have a falling out. I can never throw it in your face. And I don't judge you based on anything that you tell me. So... Anything you tell me, I said only two times I can ever tell somebody anything you tell me, you're going to kill yourself, you're going to kill somebody else. Other than that, I'll become um, a, a civilian and I have to automatically tell. But so many people are, are um, they're, they're afraid to face the issue that brought them to the point where they have to talk to me. Like I always tell them, if you were perfect, you would never have met me in your life. So you're able to um, address it and we can talk about it. We can figure out how we have to cut this cord we don't have to repeat the same cycle over and over again. So break that negative connotation and negative um, thing that you're going through and help you develop the coping skills. So many kids now, they have negative coping skills. And like I'm trying to help them. Like I would say, I'm, I am who I am. I can't change who you are. I just want you to change your thought process so you can improve upon things that you can not react the same way that you've been reacting. Like I tell them, they don't build new high schools and new colleges for us. They build jail cells for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, and even a statistic, at least in the adolescent jails, at least 90% of the kids are in there with undiagnosed mental health issues. So if we'd have got help for them early instead of trying to medicate them or giving them a label, instead of just giving them some services, we wouldn't have so many young um, brothers and sisters locked up being um, jailed for a criminal behavior when it's really more so a mental health issue. Marcus, what's your take on that? Because you work with the kids. <laughs> yeah, so I I do work work on the kids. Um, what I would say to that is that's 100% true. Um, I'm also going to disagree with some of that. Some of the stuff that we're facing isn't mental health issues. The uh, problem um, that I see today in our society is uh, a lot of misdiagnosis. Um, so we have some kids who are receiving services. They don't need services. What they do need is um, uh, a male or female or Absolutely. or any positive role models. You know, we don't want to offend nobody, um, but any positive role models to steer them in the right direction. Um, and we need a willing worker. Um, you got to understand, uh, and this is not, it's not negative, a lot of the kids, they're getting services from people that aren't, um, they don't know their their background. They don't know their history. Um, they don't know their culture dynamic. 
So where where they're being diagnosed with something, is that really the case or are you misreading the behavior that you're seeing? Mm. And that's what that's what we get a lot of, and that's where the misdiagnosis come in. Um, and that's where kids don't get um, diagnosed because those some kids they get people who are from their culture and be like, oh, that's just normal. That's not the case. That is not that might be normal in in your area, your sphere, but that is not a normal behavior based off um, how an individual should carry or want for themselves. Um, and so that's where we are today. Um, a lot of misdiagnosis, um, a lack of services. I'm telling you, it's hard to find a healthy male out here for these boys. It's hard to find a healthy male out here for these girls. Um, and some people are like, what do you mean? A healthy male working with some of these females out here can prevent some of, the, uh, some of these onset cases that we see, some cases that develop over time. Um, some people are only comfortable opening up to a certain type of person. You got to understand your trauma is your trauma. And if I don't see or if you don't I don't feel welcome, I will hold on to bits and pieces or I will fabricate I will fabricate a new reality. Mm. That's one of the things that uh, we see see in this field. You know, some kids are living in a fabricated reality. Um, and if you don't understand understand like me if you don't talk like me so i appreciate the slang um i appreciate the cuss words people be like how can you i say you don't know what a person been through to um learn the style of communication that they 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 use so be careful before you you condemn somebody the way somebody communicate what if they don't know better and anybody working this field will tell you the moment a person feels like you're not going to accept them you ain't gonna get nothing out of that person it's going to take god and yeah, a lot of a lot of prayer. As soon as you make a person feel uncomfortable for something small, um, because like you said, it can be taboo. It can be a stigma, and some people can feel like there's something wrong with them. And really, whole time is like, look, you're in an unhealthy living situation. You're in an unhealthy living environment. Um, who, whoever's taking care of you is not doing you um, justice. Is not doing doing you a favor, and they're setting you up for failure. Um, and that's not every case. That's just some. Um, and I know some people, when this, this, uh, conversation comes up, all right, cool. Let's, let's get in it easy. What happens, um, when you develop something because something traumatic just happened to your life two weeks ago, mm -hmm. it only takes the right thing for the toughest person to become soft. It only takes the right storm as, as one of my pastors said to, to make, make a, a, a fisherman scared. I'm a person who knows to see it. And you, I don't care how wind up tight, how confident and how astute you might be. It only takes the right situation to happen. And you'll be that same person that needs someone to support, support you. It's not something you're always born with. Life just happens. You don't ask for it. It just comes your way. So if, if you're going to continue to think that it's a stigma, I'm sorry. I pray that it doesn't happen to you, but life might come your way. And when it does, go talk to somebody. I promise you, your recovery time will be cut in, I, all right, I'll say half. I'll say half, because some people don't recover from life. Some people don't recover from things happening. And so, yeah. Go ahead, Marcus, AKA Teddy, okay. Okay. No, but that's good, and that that's the truth, because at the end of the day, Number one, you have to make people feel comfortable enough to come and share with you. Number two, if you place someone on the defense, they're not going to open up to you. And I don't care how old they are. They're just not. 
Number three, if you use, and, and a lot of people do not understand uh, unconscious bias. You know, sometimes we have a bias that, that automatically comes out as we speak. And if you attempt to speak to someone and your bias shows through your conversation, they are literally not going to want to engage with you any further. It's going to be, this is a wreck. I don't want to talk to you. You clearly do not understand. You clearly cannot even relate. You clearly are not the one that I need to speak to. So I need to find somebody else that is really going to understand my plight and where I'm at and where I'm trying to go. And you can't get me there. And people need to recognize and realize that, that at times one of the best things you can be is a listener and not always this. Well, what I think is, and what it's not about you. And I think that that is part of the reason why people, it is very um, imperative for them to seek out uh, a professional, you know, because oftentimes we seek out friends, we seek out family, we seek out someone that we feel um, would be able to help us. And a lot of what they say is a lot of what I think. And oftentimes when you seek out an actual therapist or you seek out an actual counselor or a social worker or someone that is operating within that field, they will literally sit there and let you and, and listen and then bring you back and ask you deeper probing questions in order for you to drive out what it is that you're going through, what it is that you're feeling and everything like that. And I think that that is, I think, I think that is uh, extremely important. Uh, let's see here. Hi, Gail. Hello, everybody. Can you guys hear me? Yep, we can hear yep. you. Okay, great. Um, um, sorry about that. I have some family things going on, so my background in things is a little loud. Um, it's all right. So there was a couple of key points that I heard both Marcus and Damon say. Uh, one point I want to bring out is that most most children, if we're talking about children with mental illness, most mental illness manifests themselves by the time the child is 14. So 50% of anyone that's diagnosed with mental illness, it shows up by the age of 14. Um, the other thing I heard Marcus talk about is cultural competency, um, where a lot of people culturally, um, when you're getting services, the individuals that you're getting services from are not culturally competent. Um, and that can be a real issue with when we start talking about diagnosing children, okay? So they can look at someone and because they don't understand the culture, misdiagnose them with something like ODD, which is oppositional defiance disorder, instead of um, some type of social, emotional, post-traumatic stress disorder, something like that. Um, medication should always be the last resource and not the first resource. Um, and it always should be a community or a team, a cl clinical team of people working together to treat the individual. When you're only seeing a therapist or you're only seeing a psychiatrist or you're or you're allowing the primary care physician to prescribe uh, medication, that becomes an issue because you're only treating the symptoms and you're not treating the root of the issue. So those are some things that comes into play with um, 
when we talk about issues behind mental illness, there that is also a part of the stigma. Some people don't want to go to therapy because they don't want to be medicated and not understanding that medication should be your last treatment. Um, your last line of defense, it is not the first line of defense. Um, and it's not there to uh, change how you feel. It is actually, um, let me say it this way. When I think of mental illness, um, and I've been going through this process since I've been age 16, I started therapy. And I've been in and out of therapy since 16. When I think about mental illness, um, I think about the brain being sick, just like you think about um, if you have heart disease, there is an issue with the heart not functioning correctly. Um, and then they go through different types of treatments to get the heart to function correctly. And a lot of time the negative stigma is that if they put me on medication or if I go to therapy, um, or engage in any of these treatments that I would be labeled as crazy. And what we want them to know is that, no, you're not being labeled as crazy, but the symptoms that you have allows us to treat you better, if that makes sense. So, um, those were some key things that I heard in the conversation that we have. Yes, our African-American children diagnosed a lot higher for um, ADHD, ADHD and ADD, which is um, attention deficit disorder and attention hyper, uh, I'll get it backwards, attention hyper, ADHD. you guys help me out here. <laughs> I did drew a blank. <laughs> I don't think I we know what they, um, they all got some type of disorder with attention. Yeah, some type uh, of disorder where they are not focusing. But there are key, and when we understand, there are key things that psychiatrists, psychologists, um, neurologists look for to come up with these disorders um, and to diagnose. And so you want to make sure you're getting someone that's competent in the field and has been practicing it long. And it's not just went to school, graduated, and been practicing, but has been keeping up on the education because things in psychology changes constantly. Let me say this, what I will, listen, y'all know me, like I, before we got on, I told the people I'm colorful. Let me say this, one of the things, my dad, my dad cracks me up, right? So he'll tell me stories about when he was younger and stuff like that. Like they used to be like, there go Martin climbing on something. There go, so, there, look, there you go. And when he went into school, um, the teachers in them were like, he's just too busy. He's out of control. He's this, that, and the third, blah, blah, blah. And one of the things that my grandmother and my grandfather would not allow them to do was that, number one, they would not allow them to classify him. And number two, what they said was, keep him busy then, right? Because if they mm -hmm. kept him busy, he was able to work, right? So therefore, what it showed with him was that he was bored. He finished doing his work and now you just got him sitting here. So therefore he has to keep busy. So therefore they said, keep him busy. 
And sometimes we need to, and I get it, there's some kids with the ADHD and the A, all that stuff, all them A's. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, they got the A's. So there are some kids that might possibly need medication in order to bring them down. But you uh -huh. have to assess that for yourself, for your child. You have to know your child well enough to know, do I need this for my child or can I just be like, keep them busy? But, you know, nowadays we in the COVID land and these kids are at home being taught virtually. So I might have medicated my kid if I, listen, you pop it, <laughs> sit down and look at this screen. OK, the screen is teaching you today, not me. Hello. But I get it because there are some pa parents are suffering. I, I see the post all day long. Parents. If y'all listening, I'm with you. I feel you. I know y'all a little suffering right now, but it's all right. You'll get it by. Get a pill. <laughs> so, so to that, um, I wanted to add to that about the medication. Um, and my my personal opinion, like I said, is my opinion. I don't think we've exhausted all our resources. Um, if we just Everybody on here is African-American or of African descent. Um, I don't think we've exhausted our resources in our communities, um, especially some of our um, our lower income communities. Mm. Um, I think we can explore more um, as far as creative ways of teaching. Not every kid learns the same. Um, not every, every kid comprehends the same. Um, like Mr. Damon said, how you communicate sometimes determine my, my, may determine whether you're going to reach that kid or not. So I think there needs a, uh, there needs to be a lot more grants or whatever that um, yeah more grants, a lot more free money, um, better pay for mental health workers and teachers, especially some of these males and um, African American females because that's what we need. They need somebody that's in there that looks like um, an authority figure in their life or a person that they're comfortable with. I know working, I worked in, um, for the state um, for a while. And one of the things they said is most kids need two things, safety and security. If you don't feel secure, you're gonna respond a certain way. If you don't feel safe, you're gonna respond a certain way. And that's the truth for adults. Nine times out of 10, you need to feel safe and you need to feel secure. And when you don't feel any of those two things, something is wrong. And you're going to react a certain kind of way, like you just said, because I don't feel safe, I don't feel secure. So if that means that I begin to pull myself back, whether I begin to reserve of myself, whatever that, is, whatever that looks like, because children do the same thing, they begin to detach. You know what I'm saying? And then they then start looking elsewhere for that safety and that security that they are not getting from the source that they should get it from. And that's something that, you know, that, that's something that, that is just, you know, something else that, that is, uh, that is imperative, which is why I do believe that if you are a parent, you should pay attention to your child. You know what I'm saying? You should pay attention to how you interact with your child or children and what their response is to that interaction. Because oftentimes if and I hate to say, I'm not going to say if you're a toxic parent. Uh, I'm going to say yeah. if you are a toxic parent, then oftentimes you spew that toxicity off to your children and therefore they don't know how to react to you, nor do they know how to respond to you. And understand when I say toxic, because there's levels to that, right? 
to me, toxic is you are the, that is the absolute worst that you could ever be to a child is toxic, right? Because that means that their well-being is no longer your concern. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about dysfunctional. There's a difference between dysfunctional and toxic, right? So when you operate under a level of uh, dysfunctionality, that is just dealing with, you know, it might be dysfunctional how you communicate, right? Because you have parents that truly do believe in communication is a whole bunch of cuss words. Get your MFNA over here right now before I bust you in your MFN face, you stupid M. That's dysfunctional communication, right? And it also plays into a, a child's psyche. And I think that oftentimes we don't understand, we think that that's normal, right? Oh, this little, little, that's not normal, but we've normalized what is actually dysfunction. And then we have <laughs> dysfunctionalized what is typically normal, right? And especially in the rearing of a child. And I think that if we begin to understand what we have done to the children, we'll begin to understand what they become as adults, right? And then as adults, what begins to happen is in all of this dysfunctionality or even toxicity, now they have this mental disorder, mental health disorder, mental health illness, whichever we want to call it, right? That they then now need to sort through. And now they got to go back to five-year-old self and figure out, well, mommy said this to me. You know what I'm saying? And then it's like, in order to break the cycle, we need to bring them back and heal them forward. You understand what I'm saying? And I think that that right there in itself needs to be examined from the parental level. There are some things that as parents, we have, I guess I can't say we, I'm not necessarily a parent, but whatever, I'm gonna say we, so whatever, that we have to um, take on the accountability of, you know what I'm saying? As far as what we have done as parents. I'm an aunt, so therefore, whatever, okay? Screw whoever says, well, you ain't got no biological children because I know that's what y'all be thinking. <laughs> and oh, I'm an aunt. Go ahead, Marcus. You got your finger. You got Marcus, you messed up with this little church finger. <laughs> Look, I'm just, you said something right there. Um, let me tell you something. Just because they ain't yours, don't mean that you ain't the parent. Um, because there's a lot of parents out here that don't parent their child. And I, I believe everybody on this podcast can tell you. Um, especially Mr. Damon working in his field and Miss Gill um, studying the field. Sometimes the, the parenting that the kid gets, they get it from their specialist, uh, whether it's their mental health provider, whether it's their coach, whether it's their librarian, whether it's the crossing guard. Sometimes that's the only parenting the kid is going to get. Um, so just because you're not the parent, that doesn't mean you parent. So you can say you're a parent because I've had to parent a lot of kids that ain't mine. Did I want to? Yeah, I wanted to. Why? Because they're the next generation. I take pride in it. Anytime I get a chance. We need to. Yeah, we need to. Right. Anytime I get a chance to share some light or to help them not uh, step on an area that might be a downfall, I'm going to take that chance. Um, so, yeah, we, we've all had to parent not only our own kids. I don't have no kids of my own, but mm -hmm. I have parented a lot of kids, a lot of kids. And I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I've parented a lot of adults too. Amen. <laughs> but but like Marcus said, you know, you don't walk into this field expecting to be someone's parent and their, their role model. But you gotta understand, so many parents, that's how they were raised. So they're just repeating the cycle of what what they experience. 
So like I said, once you heal that relationship, it, can, it, it you could help them, like you said, um, Monet, help them get out that stuck stage where they can move forward and the next year they, they can heal themselves and the next year they, they can learn how to communicate the appropriate way without the dysfunction. So like you said, it's, it's so many kids hate to read now. And I'm like, there's, there's nothing wrong with reading. You need to read to learn how to um, manage your contract, keep your check and stuff like that. It's, it's cool to be, I don't want to say word dumb, but it's cool not to learn. It's, it's, that's never been cool. That's how broke, that's how you stay broke. But it's just the dysfunction from home. It starts at home. And so many times we have to repair and heal them where we at. And then we got to send them back into that environment, which is bad. But we have to let them understand because you're from there don't mean you have to be from there. So you, you, you develop different coping skills and, and different skills so you could function in this society. And it's, like, it's, it's a battle. It's an everyday battle. Um, Wow, what's his name? W.E. Du Bois, I might be wrong. He said either we profit from what these kids become or we, or we, or we um, oh my God, I'm messing up the quote. I, I can't quote it, but I'm not going to say it right. I'm sorry, I messed it all the way up. <laughs> it's going to come back to me eventually. Yeah, I have to agree with both Marcus and Damon. I think one of the things, Kia, what you're talking about is um, the pathology. Um, in church, we call it generational curses. Um, in other areas, you call it cycles. But it's the pathology that you keep on seeing through generation, through generation, through generation. And some of that was because um, our parents and grandparents had to do some of those things to protect us. So I know when the podcast first started, we were talking about social constructs and some of the things that we learned how to do now or that we're doing right now came from those social constructs to protect our young boys and our young girls. Um, the other thing you're talking about is attachment styles, how we attach to one another, you know? So, um, there is a thing of an author authoritative um, attachment style. And that's the one where the parent does not connect with the child. Um, you know, you then you have the uh, style, I forgot the name of it, where there is a balance in the attachment style. So there are um, many different things going on. And this is, this is, like an onion, it has so many layers to be peeled back. I think the other thing that we need to think about is that mental illness is not just comes from a trauma standpoint. It is, uh, it is uh, biological, mm -hmm. it's environmental, okay? Um, these things can affect how, um, and it's genetic, so, you know, some things can be just passed on through the genes and they never knew it. And now it's manifesting itself now. So you, it, it's a lot of things that you have to get to the, um, to the root of to really find out exactly what's going on and why these behaviors are manifesting. Understand that every behavior is a learned behavior and you want to find out what is the function of the behavior. Why are they doing this behavior? Are they trying to get praise? Are they looking for attention? Are they trying to get something tangible? And we need to figure these things out, but we cannot just stop 
at that point, we also got to look at, okay, why do they want attention? What are they trying to avoid or escape? And then we need to get them into therapy to discuss those things. So that's why it's important to have a team around you to help you pinpoint all these different things. I think when, when, when you're going through this cycle of things, you also need to get the parents into therapy. And the parents need to discuss the things that they have that may have affected them that they have pushed on their children. So it's a multi-layered thing. And you can't just dissect it from one point. You have to dissect it from all aspects. That is so true as far as um, dissecting it all aspects. Um, um, Mr. Damon said it earlier, um, reading. Reading is fundamental. Um, you know, I mean, some people like that's cliche, Marcus, but you don't understand a, a lot of uh, what we would um, deem as negative behaviors start stem from miscommunication. I don't know how to articulate or I don't know how to communicate for myself. And if I act this way, this is the only way I, I grasp your attention. Um, and so therefore, if this is the only way I can grasp your attention, now you, I've just set this behavior in a behavior pattern because I long for something, I'm going to do what I need to get that something that I need. Now, because I don't know how to communicate, that's gonna cause others to mis miscommunicate or misread me. And so our environments, they, our environments have to be elevated. Our environments have to be stimulated, um, not just from the parents, but also from the kids. It's, it, our kids have to know how to read. They have to be able to know how to articulate themselves because the first thing a specialist do um, when they come in is, how are you feeling? I don't know. What is I don't know? Because from it, from your behaviors, it says that you're you're going through hell right now. Um, nah, man, nah, man, I'm good. What you mean? You know, and part of re reading not only helps the kid communicate, but they also understand and they can articulate how they're feeling. That way, when they do need help, they know how to reach out and um, communicate in an appropriate way. So, Interesting. Marcus hit it dead on the tail. Your inability to articulate what you're feeling causes conflict and it changes all type of relationships. Relationships with your friends, your peers, and your significant other. So you have to be able to say what's going on in your mind. Like if you hold that, like if you if you repress your feelings and what's what's going on, everybody's just going to take you as like you said, as being moody, angry. It's like and they start to look at you and put you in places that you're not supposed to be in. They don't understand that you're frustrated because you couldn't read or you couldn't understand what was being said, and it's just like different. And, and just not being able to articulate and express who you are as an individual handicaps so many people because they don't want. I'm not gonna say they don't know how to ask for help because it, it looks as they shot it's, they, they looked at as being um, soft if you ask for help. And like I tell people all the time, Bill Gates is the softest man I know, but he's a billionaire. If, if I can be that soft, I'm good with that. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Um, Carter said pathology can be cured with pedagogy. So me not knowing what the heck that word meant, Google is my best friend. Listen, I am not a studier of the field of psychology nor social work. 
So I'm like reading, I'm like, okay, I know what pathology is, but what the heck is that? Okay, don't pause. So it says that that is a method and practice of teaching, especially as a uh, academic or uh, theoretical concept, but then it goes a little bit further. So it says it refers to the theory and practice of learning and how this process influences and is influenced by the social, political and psychological development of learners. Now I understand what you're saying, Carter. Thank you for that. Carter commented well, the good uh, YouTube. So I, I needed to uh, go to Google and help me to understand exactly what you were saying. Okay. Google works. Yeah, it, it is, is. Well, that is what applied behavior analysis is. Applied behavior analysis focuses on the behavior. Now, there is a big rift between applied behavior analysis and other schools of psychology. Because applied behavior analysis focuses on the behavior when other fields of, or other schools of psychology, we call them schools of psychology, focuses on your thought pattern, right? But what applied behavior analysis does is teach you skills to, to the child or adult to stop the unwanted behavior and replace it with new skills for the desired behavior. Mm. So if you want a kid to stop having tantrums because tantrums get the attention, you have to replace that with something else that is going to give them the same response. <laughs> Go ahead with your question. <laughs> No, because my nephew is a tantrum thrower, okay? We could be mm -hmm. in the middle of the mall and his little self decide that he wanted to throw a tantrum. So what you're saying is don't yoke him up by the collar. No, because you're actually giving him what he wants. Exactly. Because I yoked his little self up by that good collar. Get up. She, he knows that every time he throws in a tantrum, that you're going to yoke him up, that is attention to him. He, it doesn't matter of what we think is negative attention. It's just attention. And so you have to find other things that motivates him, that, uh, that he is interested in. We was in the mall. We was inside Zara. Let me tell you what he was not about to do. He What he wasn't about to do was lay on that floor and kick and scream. Get up now, right? But Look, I'm just saying, this is me. This is back when he was that age. You got to understand, he was three. This is He's 20 now, so don't... He's mm -hmm. now. He got yoked up. Stand up straight. Fix yourself. And we're going to walk about this store. Mm -hmm. It was nothing in Zara for him to get. He just felt like falling out at that moment. What could he get out of Zara? They ain't had nothing in there for children. There was nothing there. He just, he, he literally, he felt, I never forget that day. He fell out. If my friend, if, uh, if my friend Callie is watching, she remember that day because she was with me in that Zara. I yoked his little self up. And then he fell out again. And it, the second time he fell out, I just stepped over him. No, because the second time I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I stepped over him and he got up. And and that was actually the correct response. The first one and the second was correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me say it this way. 
I understand. I get it. I got a kid. But from from the applied behavior analysis standpoint, the what you do, what we, what you did the second time is teaching him that every time I fall out, I'm still not going to get what I want, which is attention. So if you just let him fall out, make sure it's safe. He don't hit his head and butt nothing. Cry, you know, make sure all that is, is cool and keep on doing what he's doing. After a while, the instant gratification that he wants, <laughs> he will not, He it's going to be like, oh, wait, I'm not getting attention anymore. I'm not getting it anymore. And it trains the brain to stop. I need you. I need you not to be. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit from the other side of the field. I'm gonna yoke him up too. <laughs> I mean, I'm that's 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 the school the school that I attended to and graduated from. <laughs> I yoke yoke him up, and I'm gonna tell you this: every situation don't need to be yoked up. Every situation that's true. You need to be yoked up, and some situations. They need to be yoked up. The thing of it is, is it goes back to um, what Mr. Damon said, communication. Sometimes you just got to communicate with that child and that stubborn behavior. Um, and that yoke up, that yoked up uh, communication, it does work sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't work. It's all dependent on the kid. Um, it goes back to um, what Ms. Gill said, the environment. Mm-hmm. If the kid's in a, a violent back, uh, background or environment, maybe yoking them up ain't the best thing. Um, you're going to cause further damage. But who knows? I'm not in your shoes. It's a case-by-case -case basis. Um, and that's one thing people have to know. Um, somebody said in, um, in the comments on my watch party, uh, talking about um, medicine. You know, medicine may work. Medicine may not work. Miss Gail addressed this when she first opened up, when she first um, made her opening statement. Um, that's that's one of the things you got to be careful of. That should be the last option. Um, and pe some people are looking for a quick fix. Um, and I know we're supposed to be talking about mental health, but this whole parenting thing keeps coming back. Um, some people are looking for a quick fix. There ain't no quick fix to bad parenting. No. There is no, no quick fix to bad parenting. There, there is no 12-step program to bad parenting. Um, there, there is no uh, prophetic line for bad parenting. Bad parenting is bad parenting. You know bad parenting when you see bad parenting because if you're doing it, that is you. Nobody has to tell it. You don't have to go to a psychic. You don't have to go to a prophet. You don't have to go through a 12-step. You don't have, it don't have to be revealed. The product of your child <laughs> will show itself. I don't know why I keep going back to parent. I don't know why. I know we're supposed to be talking about mental health. Um, but I mean, we all will say working in mental health is some form of parenting. Yes, there's a lot of terms, um, a lot of diagnosis, but some of this some of my best work is fathering. It's mm -hmm. it is it's, it's not a coping skill, and Mr. Damon said this early. And for every person listening to this, skills are currency. Skills are currency. Whether it's coping skills or social skills, it is currency. It might not feel like it's currency, but I promise you, 
if you can develop a set of skills, a go-to set of skills, an extra pair of skills, they will wind up um, being profitable not only for you, but your environment. Everything that you put into yourself is going to grow, whether it's positive or negative. Skills are currency. If you put those positive skills inside of you, it'll reflect in your parenting. If you put those skills in your children, it'll reflect in their upbringing. Yes, they will make choices, but it won't be the choices that you they could make, but they will have choices because kids got to learn. They should be curious. They should be full of life. They should be um, overactive, hyperactive. They should do that. That's what kids are supposed to do. Um, a, a, a big issue I have is with people who don't understand what a kid should be what a healthy kid looks like. If a child ain't running around at three, four, or five, I, I have a problem with that. What's wrong with you? Oh, no, let's cut off these devices because if you're not in, if you're not being active and it doesn't have to be physically, it could be something stimulated, uh, drawing on a wall, you know, something we probably got whipped for when we was a little kid. Sure drawing on a wall, uh, building something we weren't supposed to be building into something we weren't supposed to be into. If a child ain't doing that, they're just sitting there not doing anything. Oh, you better start praying now. Um, and yeah. Now, I agree with that because there's something, although we might associate it with a negative behavior, but there's something with a child being creative, right? Sometimes they take that creativity a little too far to the left. I know, <clears throat> thank God my nephew does not have Facebook because he said it's for old people. But um <laughs> He used to draw murals on the wall, like for real. Both of them did it. Xavier did it. Christopher did it. They literally just like, Titi, I drew a picture. No, you drew it on the wall. Like there's paper for this, right? But am I really upset? I didn't care. I was just like, well, your mama go ahead and figure that part out, right? Because I'm the aunt. At, at that point, I became the aunt. Nope, hmm, your mama going to figure that out, right? So... But for me, it was funny and it was on last because I'm like, you know what? The fact that you really like when Christopher did it, we had a long hallway. He literally took them good crayons and was like up and down the hall. Like he really probably took the time and thought like, you know what? I can hit both sides at the same time if I put them in these two hands and just go like this up and down. And as bad as that was, right, I was just like, this is hilarious. The fact that he really did this. And when Xavier did it, because I was supposed to be watching him, and when Xavier did it, I was like, but man, I told you not to touch nothing. I know, Titi, but they was right there. That's what he said to me. And I'm like, you know what? That's smart. You're right, because they was right there. You cannot resist the temptation of these good markers being right there. So you know what? Your parents will have to figure out how to get this off the wall. I don't have to figure this part out, right? It is what it is. You let kids be creative. And I had to learn... You know, through the years of having nephews and stuff, I had to learn when to be angry and when not to be angry and when to just be like, you know what? We're going to chalk this up. So Xavier didn't get yoked up as much as Christopher did, but Christopher got yoked up because uh, that was my 19, 20-year-old self, and he was getting grabbed up. You know, he, ah, uh, stop it. You know what I'm saying? Xavier got, Xavier, you know, he. I was older, so Xavier got to talking to. I was like 30 when Xavier was born, so I was like, man, you know, you really shouldn't have did that. That wasn't right. So, you know, you might not want to do that next time, okay? Okay, Dee thank you. You know what I'm saying? He got the reason side of it. Christopher got the stop, yoked up side. <clears throat> yeah, I think, but the other thing that you just pointed out is that you grew 
as they grew, as as you kept on having um, nieces and nephews, uh, you grew in the style of parenting with them. I think that's the other thing we have to think about because when I was 14 when I had my daughter. You was 14, And so I was 14 when I had that. Yeah. So at 14, what do I know about parents? Nothing. However, I knew that there were some things that I didn't want her to experience that I experienced growing up. And so I made it a point um, to do some things different. Now, did I get everything right? No. Um, the other thing is that me, I've said this before, that me and Yvette grew up together because I was so young when I had her. However, even in that growing up together, I exposed her to a lot of things that was outside of the four corners. And that was a lot of things that I taught my students when I worked as a team parent advocate, um, that you have to expose your kids to more than the four corners of their community. So when I went away to college, every weekend, I would come home, get my daughter, and take her on my college campus. If she didn't have school, at that time she was about three, if she didn't have to be in school, she stayed with me and I would bring her back home. Every job, just about every job that I've worked, she has seen every job, she has been to every job that I've worked at. So there was things that I exposed her to because I wanted her to have a different lifestyle. Now, not tooting my horn or anything, but my daughter is 23 now. And y'all can't see the, the lighting set up, but she has a lighting set up. She's graduated from Port, Point Park University, which is a predominantly white college. Okay. Um, she got a four-year scholarship for $14,000 each year, and her college was $40,000 a year. It was because I, what I put in her when she was growing up manifested itself when I sent her off to college. So she's now a graduate with a degree. She can choose where she wants to work and what she wants to do. But I invested in her. And that's something that I used to teach my teen parents. You have to invest in your children. They are an investment to you. And you have to put what what you put in them will come out sooner or later. And so if you are not putting anything good in them, you're not going to see the good. But if you put good in, you're going to see good come out. Now, I knew Yvette did some things. And, you know, I had eyes on her in certain areas and stuff. But when we went outside, and even now, people be like, oh, she's so well-behaved. And I be thinking in my mind. But when she get home, her mouth is so flipped. But she didn't get flip mouth until she turned 17. You know, a lot of parents still with flip mouth children when they're 13, 12, 9. You know, when when I was raising my daughter, my family helped a lot. We used the village mentality. Um, and then I didn't restrict who she could talk to. But let me stick a pin right here. Because a lot of parents restrict 
who their children can talk to as far as, I'm not talking about pedophiles and all of that, but if they build a bond with someone outside of you that you know is a positive influence in their life, do not restrict the conversations that they have with them. I have a best friend that's been my best friend for over 20 years. And I feel safe and secure. I have two best friends that I feel safe and secure that my daughter can go and talk to my best friends and one of my best friends partner and I won't have nothing to say about it. Mm. And I can trust that the response that they gave her would be the same type of response that I would give her. And so when you restrict who your child can talk to, because we don't have all the answers as parents and we need other resources as parents to help us do this thing called parenting because there is no book, there's no booklet. There is no blueprint. There is nothing that you can refer back to. And I've, and I've seen all the booklets, mostly all the booklets. I had to give them to my students. I've seen all that material, but it's sometimes, sometimes experience is the best teacher. And sometimes you just have to know, I don't have it. And I need to get them to the person that does. No, I definitely can agree with that. I think that, I mean, like you said, parenting definitely does not come with a booklet. It doesn't come with a how-to how guide, right? You pretty much learn as you go. And <clears throat> oftentimes um, we have women, men and women alike, that are becoming parents at a younger age. Like I know I had one of my, one, uh, a friend of mine, one of her daughter's friends, the, the, the little girl was 11 years old and she became a parent. You know, and at 11 years old, what do you even know the first thing about being a parent? You know nothing about being a parent, right? And then sometimes what happens is, is that <clears throat> because of what we don't know, then now their mother then has to become a parent to their grandchild. And sometimes, you know, when it comes down to you being a, a actual grandparent, that might not be your role and that might not be the role that you want to play. So there can be other factors that come into place. And I believe that <clears throat> on this evening, we're focusing on parenting because what we can kind of agree to is something, Gail, that you said that sometimes when you are suffering from <clears throat> a mental health disorder, mental health illness, sometimes it can be genetics. Sometimes it can be biological. Sometimes it can be environmental. And as a parent, I might not be able to control my genetics, but I can see it in my child. And whatever it is that I can see, if I recognize it, then I need to know that my child needs help, right? Like I need to be able to be the parent that actually says, okay, I see this level of behavior and I might need to go get my child some type of help as opposed to letting that child then become an adult and that adult then begins to display behavior that is not becoming or be suiting of an adult. And then now it's an adult and you can't force an adult to go get help, but you could have, when they were a child, 
help them to seek counseling in order to discuss how they feel, whatever that behavior is that, that you're seeing repetitively, or even <clears throat> sometimes um, as, as if, if a child is raised in an, in, in an abusive environment where one parent is abusive and the other one is not, whatever the case may be, um, getting a child help at that early age and, and, and at an early stage um, of that can help them to begin to process through how they felt. Right. Because a lot of times, and especially when you're raising young boys, if a young boy sees his mother being abused, one of the first things a, a, a young boy might want to do is they might want to protect, but they feel helpless because they can't protect. Right. So then they grow up into being into being a man. And sometimes, depending on how they have internalized that lack of protection, they then can become one who abuses, who does not protect, who does not honor, who does not or they flip it. So it really is, it's really a parent's um, responsibility to pay attention to their child concerning the environment that you have your child in. You know, when it becomes biological or and or genetic, because there are certain uh, mental illnesses that are definitely passed down, right? Uh, there's a genetic disposition and, you know, we have to understand that as well. But sometimes that can be dealt with at such an early age that, um, when they become an adult, it's not like, oh my God, wow. No, I know this, you know what I'm saying? I've been treated for this for so long and this is what I know, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, bipolar disorders, multiple personality disorders, and you know, a lot of those other disorders that literally, and even depression and anxiety can be passed down, uh, you know what I'm saying, um, genetically, just you know, based on many different factors or whatever. But I think that it is imperative that we begin to pay attention early. And even, even when, um, and Damon, you spoke of this, you said, you know, your son was diagnosed with autism. Um, a lot of times autism goes undiagnosed in children, right? Until recently, until yeah, I'm going to say probably in these last like 10, 15 years, people have really began to really pay attention to autism um, in order to begin to understand it, right? Because in the beginning, it might have been, oh, this child is just acting out. They're just, they're having outbursts without you fully understanding, like, no, this is an actual condition, you know, that is caused from somewhere that I might need to, they, they're, they're lacking in their sensory um, skills, right? They're, they're lacking in their, some lack in their uh, motor skills, you know what I'm saying? They walk much later on in life than, you know, compared to, you know, another child or whatever the case may be. And, you know, growing up with us, it was, well, that child is lazy. They don't want to walk. Now there might be something going on that we haven't necessarily paid attention to. Like, it, it might be something else. Like, no. Oh, this child not talking. Oh, oh he's just dumb. No, he's not dumb. He just, he can't. He can't. You don't know how to formulate them words. You know what I'm saying? I think that it's important that we begin to understand that some things that we thought was just a child being a child was really something else, right? But because it was so taboo and unknown, because we have to understand, we fear what is not known. So it wasn't that it was just straight up taboo, like, oh, my God, we don't do that. No, we did not know about it. This is unknown to us, right? Because the truth of the matter is, is that in our communities, we were not afforded proper health care. 
You know what I'm saying? And that's just history. That's just straight facts. That's just straight history. So because we were not afforded proper health care, there were so many things that were unknown to us that we were just like, you know what? Well, we figured out ways to get the child to talk, right? I'm going to keep talking A, B, C. We, you know, we had to figure some things out to help them become functional until we were able to get the proper uh, health care in order to get help, the help that we absolutely needed. And some things truly are um, a product of, of, a, of a person's environment. And we can't keep ignoring the fact that there is a such thing as a product of an environment. And oftentimes we like to ignore that fact, but the truth of the matter is, is that some of these uh, mental illnesses, mental disorders are due to the types of foods that we eat. It's due to what we ingest as far as water is concerned. It, it's due to a lot, right? And sometimes when we are uh, not taken care of, right, in certain in certain arenas, um, as far as our health is concerned and what's readily available to us, this is the after effect of it because alcoholism produces a form of a mental disorder. You know what I'm saying? Drug excessive drug use uh, can ignite a mental disorder. You know, and excessive trauma can ignite a mental disorder. And we have to be able to um, acknowledge that fact. You know what I'm saying? And then we have to understand where the hell do I go to get help? Because the truth, I'm gonna be very honest with you, and this is just coming from me, a person that um, is very confused by this whole field. Um, it's too much. You have this psychologist, that one, this one specializes in behavior, this one specializes in trauma, this one. That is overwhelming. Because what you begin to do is, I then got to go through a hundred of y'all to find the one. I ain't got that type of time. I'd rather sit here and suffer through it than try and figure this out. So somebody explain to the people how they can find what they need, when they need it, and how they're going to get it. Because I ain't got time to be going through a hundred of y'all because a hundred of y'all are going to further traumatize my little happy self. I'm trying to become happy and you're putting me through a traumatic experience of finding my happy. I don't want to do that. Mm -mm. Help the people find they happy. Anybody got time for this? Going with the 50,000 of y'all to find they happy. I want to find my happy now. What the hell do I need to do to find my happy? So, so, so I would say, excuse me, I would say um, if somebody approached me like, was like, Marcus, I'm trying to find my happy. My first um, question then would be, well, why aren't you happy? Mm -mm, because if you you can search, there's plenty of therapists out there, a lot of social workers, a lot of counselors. Um, if you don't know what's wrong with you, then, you know, somebody else could just be testing on you um, or experimenting. Um, what's going on? Um, so sometimes it does start with just going to talk to a counselor. Um, I mean, some places offer pro bono. Some places don't. Pro bono, I mean, uh, you can talk to your doctor like, well, I'm experiencing this, 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 this. Can you recommend somebody to me? You might not like it um, or you might might like it. I know at one point I had to go talk to a grief counselor. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I'm telling you, 60 minutes with a grief counselor, I didn't even know what a grief counselor was. <laughs> but after after my time with the grief counselor, I felt like I lost 15 pounds. And I promise you, she said about 37 words in a span of an hour. But 37 words. And she let me talk. And by the time I got finished, she was able to tell me exactly what was wrong with me. <laughs> what was is the, the stuff that I thought was wrong with me wasn't it. Wrong. Mm -hmm. wasn't even wrong with me. That was a whole lot of symptoms and not the problem. And um, I don't I'm not going to say you, you're going to miss if you reach out to somebody, but I think you should start. Maybe start with your PCP. Like, look, who do you recommend? Who do you who do you recommend or do some research? Um, I mean, there's different support groups out there. Um, look within yourself. I know when I have symptoms of depression, it's, it's going to telltale in everything around me. Um, stuff around me is cluttered. Um, my schedule is cluttered. I'm voided of rest. I am more eager to exhaust myself. Then, then to relax myself. Why? Because I don't want to think about what I'm going through because it might be uh, symptoms of depression. But that's something I had to learn for myself. Okay. That makes, that, that makes sense. Anybody else? So I'll go next. How do you find the people? I'll, I'll go next. Um, I... I can speak from personal experience. The way I got into therapy, and I don't know if she's watching, um, I was a part of the program that I uh, actually started working for years later. I was a part of the ELECT program. Um, and the social worker there, um, we would be having conversations. Um, and one day she sent me, she said, come down to the office. The elect program was in the school. She said, come down to the office. She said, all right, I'm going to take you somewhere. And I'm like, where are you taking me? And she, at this time, she's the only person that I trusted. And she was like, come on, just follow me. And she took me to, at that time, we had a counselor. And I'll tell you who the counselor was. I don't know if you guys ever heard of war women organized against rape. Um, but that's who the counselor was. She was a, a war counselor. And she was like, okay, this is Gail. She introduced me to the counselor and she left. And I was angry with her. And for the first six months of therapy, I gave that woman help. I wouldn't answer her questions. I would, I, I just was, mean, I was already mean at that time, but I wouldn't engage into therapy. Um, about six months in, I was able to let down my guard. Um, and then that opened the door to therapy. So you can have somebody who truly cares about you um, and your well being introduce you to a therapist. Um, like uh, Marcus said, you can research go through your primary care physician, um, go through a team um, because you may not know what may be the best type of therapy you need. And there are different types of therapy. 
and different types of therapy mm-hmm. work differently for different people. I am not a person that can do CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy. I hate it. Um, and I don't like psychoeducation because I am in school for for um, psychology. So don't do a lot of psychoeducation. I am someone who needs to analyze the things that's going on in my life. So I like psychoanalytic. And only thing that means is that I get to sit in therapy and talk to my therapist about whatever comes to my mind. And we will venture off from there. But it it starts with um having a conversation and if you know that something is wrong even if you don't know if someone else is observing your behavior observing things that you do whether it be a parent a teacher a counselor a friend and they start to notice that you know you've been sleeping a lot lately um you're not hardly eating like some of those are telltale signs of depression. Um, you're engaging into self-harm. You're engaging into a lot of risky behavior type of things, you know? Um, so whether it's you deciding that you want to go to therapy or somebody saying, hey, man, I think you need to go see somebody. I think you need to go talk to somebody. And if you're that person that is saying to the person um, and they are apprehensive about doing that, you may want to say, well, I'll go to the first appointment with you, you know, to get them the help that they need. But you have to, you know, it's, it's all about communication and whether it's the person communicating or some, a loved one who sees them going around the down the wrong path and saying, hey, something is off, something is not right about this, um, getting you to where you need to be. It's been many a times my best friend is like, hey, best friend, sleeping a lot, you're not eating. Um, I think you need to go ahead on and get get into some therapy. I think it's about that time because I'm one of them people that, okay, therapy going good. I will snatch myself right out of it. I'm good now. I'm okay. You know, and that's the other thing. Just because you're third, just because everything seems good right now may not be the best time to snatch yourself out of therapy. You know, find out, you have to find out what works for you. And sometimes it's going to take you seeing three or four different therapists to find the right one that matches your personality and your style for you to mesh because all therapy is, is you building a relationship with a trusted individual who is going to give you the tools and skills you need to navigate through life. Damon? Um, Wow. How do I follow how Marcus and Gail? Wow. Yeah. Didn't that put me stop. behind the eight ball. <laughs> um, but like they said, it's it's you have to realize like why wow, I might need some help, and you have to take that first step, which is the hardest step you're ever going to take in your life, and you have to find something that fits for you. You might need a support group, you might need um, a big brother, or you might need a mentor, and then as you take that step for you to find your happiness, then you'll start doing different things, and you'll seek out help. Because then you realize there's a, there's an inner voice inside of you that you haven't listened to for so long, 
that, okay, let me listen to this voice now and figure out why I'm in so much pain. Why am I hurting? And why am I so angry? And then you, you can go to a nonprofit, you can go to a clinic, you might just even go to the hospital just to figure out what, like, um, who's going to be able to hear me and hear my voice and hear, and hear my pain and know why I am the way I am. I've had mm-hmm. so, many, so many clients, they've gone to so many therapists, and then they find me, and then first they see me, they don't think, wow, this man can't help me. And then when I talk to them, they're like, oh, wow, he understands me. And he, he speaks my language. And they open up, and they'll say, I've never told anybody this. And I'm like, wow. Or I can tell them stuff when I first see them in a minute, and they be like, how do you see that? I said, it's all over your face. I said, if, I know, if you know what to look for, you know what it is. And I always ask I tell them all the time. The question you ask yourself is, how much shit are you willing to eat? Before you decide that you want to get help. And once you get tired of t- the taste of shit, excuse my language, I'm so sorry. I'm abrasive at times. Once you, you get tired right. of that taste, you, you'll do what you need to do to, to help yourself. And it's, it's all about meeting the person where they at. And that's the, one of the biggest things of um, psychology and social work. You got to meet the client where they're at. And once they, you meet them where they're at, you can help them find they're happy. You know, Marcus and Gail said it all. So, you know, you, I, I don't have much to say now. You always got your own take on stuff. It's all right. Marcus and Gail say what Marcus and Gail say. Damon say what Damon say. And Vicky say what she going to say. I just said to help the people. Some folk ain't got time to be going through four and five and six therapists to figure out whether do I need a licensed clinical social worker? Do I need a psychiatrist? Do I need a psychologist? Do I need like it's a lot and it can be it can become overwhelming. And then on top of that, everybody specializes in something different, right? So it's like you have to pay attention to so much being on, you know, the the the, the one that needs help in. And it's like, okay, uh, I don't know nothing about this. So it, I really it, it. It's like this. You, you, do, you, do you buy the first pair of shoes you try on? It depends on that shoe. I know my shoe size. Right. So, but... Every shoe ain't exactly, foot, and you buy different type of shoes. But my point, but here's so, so which I don't know about me. I am a shoeaholic. Gail knows this. Gail, thank you. So therefore, I do not experiment with my shoes like that, right? So, so you keep shopping to find the right shoe. What I do is when I know the designer, I know my size for that designer, right? Now. It's a little different when you're trying to figure out the right fit for mental health, right? Because of the fact that, number one, if you go to the wrong helper, it can further damage you. And I can only speak that from, from personal experience. I went to a counselor. That, that made me be against every single last form of counseling. I don't want to go, period. And I have not been back in two years, right? So I just want to help people so that they begin to understand the process. And the process is, is that you really can go to four or five different ones until you can actually find the right one. And I think that if that's understood up front, that is not just a once and done type situation, then, you know, because see, I know my good designers. So I know that if I buy Christian Louboutin shoes, therefore I need to hit up that good size 40. 
Okay. I also know that if I buy Steve Madden because they cut a little narrower, then I know I need to hit that nine and a half and not that nine. So there's a thought process that goes into my purchasing of shoes. I know that if I buy Vince Camuto shoes, right, I know that my foot, I know the length of my foot in inches. So therefore, when I look at that size, I know that I might need to get that nine and a half. So there are certain things that we know innately, but there are other things that we might not know about when we need to shop around for help because it ain't no one size fits all type of situation with, with the help that you need. Because everybody don't specialize in what you need. What, Marcus, with that church figure? <laughs> so you said a mouthful right there. Um, I believe me, Damon, and Gil will agree with this. What you said can be applied to a person's everyday life. Um, a lot of people don't do preventative maintenance. So we would call it self-care. So how will you know where you need to go if you're not practicing self-care? If you're practicing self-care, you'll know where you need to go. It might not be... 100%, but you'll be close to about 60 or 70. Why? Because you'll know what you need. If you're accurately getting rest, you know what you feel like when you're getting rest. Um, and, and honestly, a lot of people don't know what it's like to get rest. A lot of people don't know how what it feels like to take care of themselves in an appropriate way. Some people think just because I have a roof over my head, they, they that's, that's enough for me. No, you are a living human being and you need some loving. Um, I'm, I'm not, it doesn't have to be physical. Sometimes it's, you need and something. If it, applause, and if it is physical, I'm tired of folk. Oh, well. <laughs> Sometimes you need something to stimulate you. So a good book, a good book from the library, a nice walk at your favorite time of day. Um, uh, something that just helps you take care of you. Um, whether it's your favorite lipstick, a certain scent, um, uh, a shade of color. Um, yeah. Self-care is lacking. And I, like I said, we're all of African descent on here, especially in the black community. Self-care should be a class in elementary school. We just need it. We will benefit a lot from it. Um, we will be able to identify some, some things that we might say are issues and we'll be able to expose some things that are issues and, and omit some things that aren't issues. We have to learn how to take care of ourselves. And if you can practice that, like I said earlier, Mr. Damon said it, Ms. Gill said it. Skills are currency. Currency, if you can get these skills up under your hands and not all, one skill ain't gonna be for everybody. Some, you, you're gonna find a set of skills and those skills are gonna work for you. And you work those skills till you need a new set of skills. Come on skills, work them. Yeah, skills work. Like I said, self-care, self-care. If you're practicing healthy self-care, you're gonna know what you need when you get off. Why? Because you're going to be resting. You're going to be taking care of your body. You're going to do things that add to you. Yeah, I think the other part of that is that you said, when I buy a certain shoe, I know how it's yeah. cut. But it took you time to figure that out. You had to learn that. And I think a yeah. lot of times we don't invest in our mental health just like we don't invest in our children. And so before we even get to mental illness, every Every year you go and get a physical done to make sure your physical health is okay. It allows you to catch and do early detection on things. We need to be the same way about our mental health. So before you even get to feeling like you're mentally ill, you if you're doing a mental wellness checkup, 
you can catch it well before it develops into full-fledged crisis moment, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and then we have to do the maintenance after we figure out about it, whether it's a mental illness, whether it's trauma, uh, whatever category, social, emotional, then you have to do the the uh, maintenance to keep that up. So whatever the maintenance is that you need to do to keep you grounded at your baseline, um, which means when there is no crisis in your life, when you're not stressed, you know, you have a baseline. And so we need to do the things like Marcus talked about self-care Self-care is one of the things you implement to keep you at your baseline. And and many times, one of the issues we have is that people enter therapy or go into treatment in the time of crisis, but you can go into treatment and therapy before you even hit crisis. But how do you know? Because you know something is off. You, if you know your behavior... Yeah, this is Mark. You see, Mark Marcus, like, yeah, is that right? <laughs> but I'm asking you for a reason. But how do you know? Go ahead. Yeah, if you know your behavior, like, you know, like Marcus said, if, if my house is dirty, I know for me, if my house is dirty, my mentally, I'm cluttered. You know, you'll see little signs. You only ate once today. I remember, so I've been going on this journey now three years, and Kia, you've been through a lot of this journey with me. Sure have. Mm -hmm. Last year, um, I went from uh, IOP, which is an intensive outpatient program, into did that and was like, okay, and then had to turn around a month later and go into a partial inpatient hospitalization. Mm Mm-hmm for a month and a half, something like that. Um, But I knew something was wrong. I knew it, I was totally off. I was having my, things that we don't think about are issues, racing thoughts. I don't feel like I can get control of my thoughts. My focus is off. Things that I used to can focus on, I'm not concentrating. It, the things that I enjoy, I no longer enjoy anymore. These are some telltale signs that something is wrong. Just like you would know, oh, you went ran, running today and you got this strange pain. This Now, you always got pain in your leg, but today we got a strange pain. That ain't supposed to be there. And so we have to listen we're not even equipped to listen to our body, so we don't even listen to ourselves mentally and emotionally. We're not in touch with knowing when something is off. So we have to get centered enough to know when something is off. And so looking at your own behavior, seeing that things, and sometimes, I'm gonna be honest, sometimes you sleep, you slump into that and don't even realize that you have slumped into that. And that's when you need those family and friends to say, hey, boo, something up, what's up, what's going on? I ain't talk. If you're a person, kid, me and you talk 
what at least twice three times a week um if we don't have super busy schedules if you ain't here from me in three weeks you gonna call me up like hey something wrong what's up what's going on you know and so we got to be intentional in checking on not just our strong friends but all friends that we call friends because everybody does not um say when they're going through something you know the Mm -hmm. other aspect of this is that we also have to remember that if someone is going through something medically medically if someone is struggling medically it will affect their mental health um and one of the things um over the course of my schooling but even before i got into schooling i was doing this mental health thing um that you somebody gets diagnosed with something for me personally it was me losing my mobility and me having to stay in the house now if you look at me you can't tell that i can't walk a full city block that i can't go out and get for three years i was stuck in the house and had everybody doing everything for me mentally that wore on my mental health and so we also have to know that medical things can also affect your mental health okay i'm done i know i said a mouthful no but you're right because at the end of the day (laughs) everybody's personal whatever it is that is within their personal can affect how they feel and how they view whatever everything and it can begin to play on you know your own personal mental health and i think that it is important that friends know your pattern right because we have patterns right gail know what i was about to say that's why she <clears throat> over there because i was really about to do it but i was like i'm not going to do it this time i'm going to control myself in all of my colorfulness and not do it but if she gets this pattern i'm going to crack up that's all i'm going to say so you know it's a Philly thing. It is, it, and it's it, it, other people say it like that too, which is irking my whole good soul. But it's okay, y'all can have y'all patterns all y'all want. It is pattern, p a t t e r n. Ain't no ring at the end of that. Okay, I said it, and I don't care. <laughs> <sighs> Got it out. Okay, I feel much better. Anyway. <sighs> So, like I was saying, what Marcus with it? You gonna put that church finger in? <laughs> I always do it. I always do it. It's it's, it's common. I, I Gail was just saying so much stuff, um, and she jumped right before she said that final little small thing. You don't always have to wait till something's wrong for you to go see, see somebody talk to you, and that's that's where a lot of people get tripped up. They wait till they're their crisis stage, and they're they're not open to hearing. How about you go when you're at your baseline? If you if that baseline is where you do most of the work in that crisis stage, that's when you let others help you. Um, some people might not agree. Some people might agree. I can tell you when I'm at that crisis stage, it's about maybe two and a half people who can talk to me. And if those two and a half people will change depending on what I ate for breakfast, if my coffee was well, if the sun is shining, <laughs> I'm telling you, when you get to that crisis stage, you're, you're irrational. So sometimes the best time to talk to somebody is when you're baseline. That's when you're open, you're clear. You can receive like, mm, 
I appreciate your time. I'm glad I got insurance and it paid for this. I need to talk to somebody else. That's the truth. Gail know it. When Gail's in crisis mode, she can't talk to me. Ain't that right, Gail? No, we cannot have a conversation at all. She needs that good person that takes that good copayment. That is not Nakia. <laughs> Dead serious. <laughs> Hello, but I'm honest and Gail on Gail be like, I can't even talk to you. I'm like, you right. Dick, can we make an appointment? Right? Because I'm not, I'm not. I am not, she is not me. I'm not that. <laughs> and it's okay. There are a lot of people I can be in there. I will be in a crisis mode and nobody will know it because I won't. I will not talk. I will not. I will not speak or utter a word until like if I'm when was it last month? Yeah, it was last month. I just, or it actually, it might have been a month before, whenever the heck it was. And I was on the phone with my sister and I just bust out crying. And she, she drove all the way up here a whole good hour and 15 minutes to come up here to come sit with me because I just bust out crying. I was in straight up crisis mode. Like it was just like, I could not breathe. You know, like it was unbearable, right? And then I had another friend that um, he did it for me as well. I was in straight crisis mode. It was Mother's Day and I was just in here, bald over, just in tears. I could not move. He came all the way over here with my good cheesecake at that. And I was so excited about that cheesecake. But I'm just saying I was, I was excited about that cheesecake. But um, that's important that you have people that they might not know what the heck is going on with you, but they might call you and you'll answer the phone and they'll be like, uh-uh, something ain't, something ain't right. What, what's going on? I just can't breathe. I just, you know, because so, and then next thing you know, all the floodgates open up. But a lot of that has to do with people knowing you. If I get silent, silent, you should already know. I am not in the good mood to deal with nobody and nothing. And it's going to take, like you said, Marcus, I'm two and a half people and like you said, depending upon if my coffee is good that day, because if my coffee is bad, that will probably send me at a crisis mode. That's that is one. If her coffee is all, that's all it takes. It will send her. But Kia has Kia has patterns, um, and I know them. I know. I know, and I know them. Um, but what she's saying is true. We have learned each other over the years on how to deal with one another. Um, and I may I may text her and say, hey, good. so we have language that we have with each other. Hey, good, good girlfriend. What's up? What's going on? Mm -hmm. If she give me a one word answer and she is not engaging in the conversation, something is definitely wrong because we we have shenanigans when we engage in the conversation. If she texts me and I do not respond back to her, because my whole thing is I won't respond at all. I'm calling. I'll see her message and I won't respond back to her. And then she'll start calling my phone. And so with those people, you know their behaviors. You over time you have studied them and not studied them in a in a bad way developing the relationship, you have learned their their behaviors. And so you will know when something is off. You know, I have two other friends that when something is off, 
Um, they're calling me. My one friend said, listen, I'm going to need you to go check yourself in. Please don't make me do it. You know, and that comes from a really real place. Um, and so you have to have those people in your corner. And it may not be many. It may be only two or three that you may have. But you have to have some some a circle of people that care enough about you and your well-being to get you to the place where you need to be. So you may not know where you need to be, but you have to have people around you that's more that's willing to get you to where you need to be. Go ahead, Marcus, and agree. Marcus, like, yeah, that's that's where it's at. I'm telling you, having people in your corner, um, a lot of people walk around with masks on. They can't be who they want to be because they're they're afraid of rejection. Whole time, what they're doing, they're just building up walls. And the more walls you build up, the longer you're going to be in crisis. Um, As as, um, Mr. Damon Gale alluded to before, you're just going to create a relationship. What? A relationship... What is that relationship going to do? It's you're going to give a person access to some of those walls. They don't have to knock down. They can just walk in through the front door so they can um, help you get to the problem. And we, we can help you assess what the true problem is. But we can't do that if you're going to um, walk around with a mask on. You, you, we can't do that. That's why self-care is important. Knowing who you are. You're, make sure your environment is healthy, not toxic. Um, you, you have to know these things. Um uh, the title for the night, Mental Health, Mental Wealth. If you're not in a place where you are uh, profitable, it doesn't profit you, it's going to deplete you. And anything that's depleting you is taken away from you. So you're slowly taken away from yourself. Um, and I'm going to stop there because, you know, I, I just I get worked up when we start talking about building people up because it's so it's a lot of people who walk around with masks. Yep. It's a lot of people walk around with masks. I come from working inpatient and I tell people. I can be with a person who is a violent criminal because I know he's violent. He's not, I can't be with a person where I don't know nothing about him. It's better to know than you think you think you're just around people. And it's like, you don't even know who they are. That's not the real you. That's a mask you, t- you take on and take off. Like, no, I don't need to be around no Jack in the box. Give me a hero, superhero or a villain. I'm fine with that. At least I know where we, where we are, who you are, what I'm dealing with. And I know the uh, correct and appropriate response. It's a, it's a lot of people walk around with masks on. Can't get the help they need because they're too, they're, they become too comfortable with their mask. They don't even walk around with their real face on anymore. They're just walking around with the mask. They leave the real, the, who they are, they leave that person at home. They're functioning with their mask on. It's not healthy. It's not healthy to you. It's not healthy to your family. It's not healthy to your community. Leaving, I'm telling you, they're literally leaving themselves at home and walking around with a full-blown mask. Mm-hmm. Just changing their mask, depending on where, wherever they go, like it's a pair of shoes or some lipstick or some lip gloss. They just put it on, they wipe it off, put it on, and they wipe it off. It's not healthy. And it they're chameleons, and, they, and they've learned how to be that. They've learned how to be chameleons. Like, I got to adapt to every single environment so I can blend in. So then they lose their own identity because they don't even know who they are because they've picked up the identity of all of those around them because they're just a chameleon. And it's and it's it's a sad place to be, but that I like what you said about self-care. That I, I, I am a firm believer in self-care. And anybody that knows me knows that... Um, if you fully, fully know me, um, 
you would know that one of the things that I personally care about is my self-care, whatever I view as my self-care, um, whether it is when I come on this good podcast and I actually put makeup on my face. Um, if anybody paid attention, they would have noticed that the last couple of podcasts, I wasn't wearing none. You know what I'm saying? That's a telltale sign, but nobody, people don't pay attention to the signs, right? My face got burnt. Hello. So I couldn't put none on. You know what I'm saying? But nobody actually paid attention to the fact that my good face was burnt. It's fine. That's all right. And nobody asked me how I felt about my good burnt face. Nobody asked. It's okay, though. That's fine. I healed. Praise him. Okay. Thank you for healing. You know what I'm saying? Without the asking. But I'm just saying. But no, but some people have patterns, Gail. <laughs> and when they break their good pattern, no, you're not. It's I'm okay. I know it's a Philly thing. It's a Philly and a South Jersey type thing, and, and, and wherever the hell else they say pattern. I just can't. That is not part of my uh, vocabulary. <laughs> it would make me itch. Y'all see, I'm itching there. But anyway, no. Um, Gail, no, I mess with, with that all the, all the time with the, the pattern and the stuff like that. This is just like a running running joke. So she knows it's all it's all in good humor. <laughs> but um but I do believe that it is important. Like I, I t listen, I believe in going to get massages. I believe you need massages in this good day and age. I believe everybody needs a massage. Everybody need all the kinks worked out. You can shake your head all you want. Okay. <laughs> you might not need a massage. But ladies, if you hear me, we need massages. You hear me? Okay. Get all that stuff rubbed up out of you. Your head, your hands, your feet, your leg, your thigh. I even sort of through had this good uh uh butt massage going. That massage, I was like, yes. You know what? I can't. Listen, can. but I bet you the people felt good. Okay, when they came up out of that, they was probably like, oh, I ain't never had my booty uh, rubbed like that. You feel me? Like I bet you, because I watched that whole good video, and I bet you they they fully enjoyed it, and they were probably relaxed, and they felt like they could take on the world. I believe every hair, nails, feet, massages, all that stuff that is imperative for your mental well being. Uh, going and even for some people, you know, the truth of the matter is we've been experiencing a pandemic, right? We haven't even really discussed it, but we've been experiencing a pandemic and people might not be in the same financial position that they were in before, right? So there are certain things that are now limited because they're not in that position anymore. But whatever it is that you could do to help you feel great about yourself, I say do it. If that means, even if, if, if you used to go to the gym, but now you can't afford your gym membership, even if that means you go run outside in the park, Although I'm firmly against running outside of anybody's park because I don't like the elements, but that's just Nakia. That is not you. You can run outside in the park if you if you don't mind the elements. I mind all the elements while running outside. So uh, I can't necessarily do it. it. It just messes up my good psyche. But I'm just saying whatever it is that you need to do to produce and get that adrenaline, all that, a lot of what we experience can be hormonal. And some of us need a release of some of these hormones. And some folk is running around here backed up. I'll say it like that. With the release of your hormones. And you might need some hormones. Okay? See y'all laughing. But that's, people need a release of hormones. Okay? Some hormones need to be released so that you, okay, can feel your zen. Okay, and yes. once you have the release of the hormone, am I lying, Gail? 
No, you're telling the truth. So, so there's been a lot of things that's been said. So I'll go to the hormonal thing. Um, I'll probably circle back around to the mask thing because I think that's very important too. Um, hormonally, we have dopamine, dopamine, and serotonin, mm -hmm. right? And you know, I know there is a stigma against people. Um, having sex outside of marriage, different things um, that covers under the sexual umbrella. But sex, whatever form you get it in, releases the feel-good hormone in the brain. Hmm. But you also can release that Oxy hormone through exercise. You also can release that hormone through shopping. You I also can release that, that hormone through eating. I just said release the hormone. Okay. Yeah, you got to give the people some practical ways that they can release Listen here, this look hormone. Whichever way um, you feel the need. The feel-good hormone to help you feel better. Because one thing, let's take women for an example. Hmm. When women go on their cycle, one of the things that happens is that they're serotonin levels drop. Drop. And a lot of women think I'm just regular PMSing. But there is something called PMDD, which is a, an extreme version of PMS. Yeah, Marcus. It's, Marcus. And, and it's in the and it's in the DMS or the DSM. It is actually in there. Marketing as a disorder, me, and so when she and a lot of women. Pause, pause. When she told me about that, I had to Google it because I was like, <laughs> "Look, I was like, what, girl? I knew PMS, okay? Pre yeah, that's what was wrong with her. <laughs> I'm just joking. Honestly, and that could have been what was wrong with her. But because we write it off as just normal signs of our cycle or normal signs of PMS and don't know that there is an actual disorder because of the levels of our serotonin dropping so low that it's making you extremely tired. Uh, your, your mood starts to change. Like there are things that starts to happen and is it happening around the same time every month? This can start 14 days prior to your cycle starting and not in until the end of your cycle. So women are suffering three weeks through this PMDD, which is literally keeping them home in the house because it's so severe, you know? And so we gotta think about these different things when we start talking about hormones being off, things like that, chemically imbalanced, what that means. Now, those things you may need a pill for. Um, if you cannot balance it through sex, exercise, and a diet, let's just I've be real. Good old exercise, and it works. Let me say this, okay? Whichever way you balance yourself, <laughs> exactly. Now, I I need to circle back to this thing about mass real quick. I'm gonna try and make it short. Um, but Kia knows these are things that we have talked about in very long detail, so I'm passionate about it. But one reason why um, a lot of people walk around with masks on, it goes back to parenting. 
especially for the black community. One reason why um, is if you notice, I was the best example I can give you. I was watching Erica Campbell's show, Meet the Campbells or whatever it was called. And the two daughters, there was an issue and they were combining their room or something, changing their room. But the one daughter was upset. And you know, the, her mom, Erica Campbell's was like, uh, you better fix your face. You better fix your face. You too young to be angry. You too young to have an attitude. What you got an attitude for? And so we never learned how to be or sit in those emotions from a healthy standpoint. So you learn how to wear a mask every day. So whether you're happy or sad, angry or upset, you know, there is a, a will of emotions. We only can identify about five of them. Mm -hmm. And we don't realize that you can have more than one emotion at the same time. You could be happy and sad all at the same time. You could be angry and upset. You, you can have two opposing uh, emotions at the same time. And we have not learned how to sit in the emotion in a very healthy manner. So we walk around with masks on and the only mask that we know how to put on are happy and angry. We don't know anything in between. I just wanted to make sure your thought was finished. My thought is finished. And I agree. <laughs> when someone makes a profound thought, you just can't say nothing else. But I agree. Ain't no, ain't no, ain't no sense of trying to add to it or take away from it. It's, it's it, it truly is, and I and I agree. Um, and I think that it is imperative that you know we stop trying to reduce down people um, from expressing their emotions. Right? Whatever it is that you feel, feel it, feel it constructively. Because if you get destructive, it's when you get yoked up. Hello. That, that's going to be the message. Don't get yoked up, okay? But it is important. I, and I think, like, I think something that I said earlier, which makes sense, because as you grow, you begin to learn these things so that you begin to understand how you might have stifled the firstborn, but then the second and the third, you fix it with them, right? And one of the things, I'll tell you, no lie, because my mother was very big on my nephew expressing himself. And I used to be like, you ain't let me express what I wanted to express. Like I popped in my mouth all the extra stuff, right? Like I got popped. But it was because as you begin to grow and the older you get, the wiser you should become. Some of y'all are not that wise with your age. It's okay though. Um, just putting that out there. Um, but you should become wiser as you grow and as you learn and as you experience, right? Wisdom just doesn't come because you're getting older. Wisdom comes with knowledge and it comes with experience and how you have learned from the things in which you possibly might have gotten wrong. So um, that's why I said everybody is not wise. Some of y'all are not. And it's OK. You don't listen. Whatever you don't know, you just don't know. And whatever you have not learned from, you just have not learned. And whatever you haven't grown from, you just have not grown from it. It is what it is. But it's time now that we begin to grow from the things in, of young to now where we are at so that we understand, okay, this was not okay. And my mother was big with that because she let, she let, he used to say some of the darndest little things and I'd be like, I would have got popped for saying that and you just allowing this to fly. Like, this is just flying. Like, he just, I don't want to. And she'd be like, well, why don't you want to? What? We didn't have an option for the why. We had to do right. 
right? But it becomes with, as you begin to learn how to engage with a child and begin to help them to understand that they have feelings too, and they might not want to do this. And we need to acknowledge their why, although that doesn't mean that their why is justified and we're not going to make them do it. Like, no, you're going to go take out this garbage because that's what I told you to do. And the reason why I'm telling you to do this is because I'm going to grow you into something at a later age, right? So we begin to cultivate them at a young age. So I think that that is important that we do begin to and understand that they have a right to their emotion. They have a right to their feeling and they have a right to express it constructively Um. And then we can begin to grow them in that area of what they might not have understood. Like you said, they were doing something with their rooms or whatever. And the one got angry. No, she got a right to be angry if that ain't what she wanted. So therefore, let me express this. Let me express my emotion constructively. Let me express it to you. And then you can explain to me uh, in detail and not just telling me you, you ain't you ain't grown. No, that's not that's not an answer. You know what I'm saying? Like that. That's not an answer. I have an emotion, I have a feeling, and it needs to be uh, addressed and it needs to be, honestly, it needs to be validated and felt securely, right? And I think a lot of the times what happens is, is that we have a very big problem validating how someone feels. And Gail, I'm, I, I, and I'll be transparent, Gail gets on me with this all the time because I'm like, well, no, because she's like, well, you can't invalidate. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because you don't have your valid your validation of how somebody okay before i say that first we have to remember that emotions are energy in motion okay, okay. and the next thing is we have to remember that your validating my feelings don't mean that you agree with what i'm saying that's what people don't understand that just means you identify that i'm upset i'm happy I'm sad, I'm overwhelmed. Um, you're just identifying and saying, yes, I recognize that this has impacted you in some type of way. And so we, what happens is the reason why we cannot validate people's feelings is because we cannot recognize that a situation or, or a situation or something that happened has impacted that person, whether it be negative or positive, it has an impact on us. And how I explain this impact is how you look at a fossil. When you get a fossil in the ground, there is an imprint that it has left. And so a lot of times these things have left an imprint on our heart and we have been affected by it, but no one wants to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. I'm with it. All right, Damon, we done said a lot. I know you're probably sitting over there like, I, I, I need to jump in here, but I don't know where to jump in at. <laughs> no, um, like everybody said, the masks are for different reasons. Some people aren't able to be themselves because they don't know who they really are. Some people are afraid to be themselves because they don't want to get left at. Some people, it's, um, they feel like you said, you said, their emotions and feelings and their thoughts have been invalidated so long, they, they take on the identity of someone else. You know, it's the hardest thing is to be yourself. And so many people try to be someone else. So, like I said, it, it causes a shift and a crisis in their, in their mental. So, 
not being able to be yourself and articulate yourself and being you're faking for so long, you don't even know who you are any longer. You don't even know where your problems started at or where or where to begin to heal your problems, or where to begin to heal yourself. So mm-hmm. it starts in childhood, goes into adulthood. Now you're an adult who can't be themselves because the, they don't know how to be themselves and just are so lost. And Gail said something that that just struck me and I'm gonna have to research to do something on it now, imprinting. Like, I haven't heard that in so long. It's, it's a beautiful concept. I'm gonna use that in my therapy. Sorry, I'm gonna steal that from you. But, um, <laughs> That's okay. That's what we do. We share that knowledge with one another. As, as we did. Still sharp and still. Um, but somebody, we have to be able to not be afraid to, like Marcus said, to take our mask off and be us. Mm-hmm. And once we be, stand and it can feel your pain and it can help you address it. And like I always tell every kid I work with, you have the right to be angry. It's how you express your anger that determines what's going to happen next. You know, and that's all I got. <laughs> that's all right, but but it's but it's real. It's the expression of the anger. You know, we 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 believe, as the Bible says, it's all right to be angry, but sin not. Right. So, it's what happens after the anger? What do you display post anger? You know what I'm saying? And is it constructive or is it destructive? Does it hurt you? Does it harm you? And I think that a lot of times when um, when we begin to become self-aware, right? Because a lot of this boils down to your own personal, as you get older, because a child is not necessarily self-aware to the, to the level that we would want them to be. But as you get older, you, you learn uh, how to become self-aware. There are some of us adults that are not very self-aware. So we begin to, you know, exude a lot of toxicity around us because we're not necessarily self-aware of even our own selves. But ones who are self-aware of themselves, as we become self-aware, we can take a mask off and begin to realize like, yo, that wasn't me, you know? And that's not me. That's not who I am. That's not what I stand for. That's not what I'm about. So now we begin to shift and transition even within our own selves as we become aware of ourselves and get to know ourselves at our core. Um, What I will say is that it is almost nine and I really, truly want to thank y'all for this well-rounded conversation. Um, I do believe that it is going to help people you know, to become more informed about mental health, mental wealth, and get people to really begin to understand the impact of are you okay and the imprint that we can leave on each other's lives, right? Because at the end of the day, as individual people, we leave a lasting imprint on someone's life, good or bad, happy or sad, we leave it. You know what I'm saying? And I think that this is where self-awareness comes into play. When you become more aware of yourself, you become more aware of how you are uh, affecting someone else's life. And I think that that is imperative because I never want to be a person that causes a negative effect in someone's life, right? And I don't think that anyone should ever want to be 
one that causes a negative effect in someone's life. But if you find that you, if you find yourself to be that person, right, that causes a negative effect in someone's life, or it could be the catalyst of a negative effect, whatever it is, because sometimes it's not intentional. It can be unintentional. Um, some people, it can be intentional. So you have to have a certain level of awareness. And then we also have to have a certain level of accountability. Like, I believe one of the things we haven't necessarily hit it uh, directly, but we have basically talked about accountability, right? We have a circle of people that will literally hold us accountable to the things in which we do and the things in which we say and how we act, all of that stuff. And I think that that is imperative, right? I have people that will literally hold me, they will hold Nikia accountable for the things in which I do, the things in which I say, the things in which how I act. And sometimes I agree and sometimes I don't. And if I don't, I just don't. It's just, it's what it is. We going to not agree. We're not going to agree to disagree. I don't believe in all that. I think that's, a, that's just, I'm not going to tell you what I think, but we're not going to agree to disagree. I'm just not going to agree with you. And that's just what it, where it's at, period. We don't need to go back and forth about my non-agreement with what you just said, right? And I think that that comes with a level of understanding and awareness that we all don't have to agree. And it's okay to have healthy disagreement. Well, we just going to agree to disagree. No, we're not. That's a cop out. I'm just not going to agree. And that's just that. We just need to come to a common ground of understanding of what we both are saying. Right. And I think that part of the issue that we have is we don't know how to effectively communicate with people. And it's that's a huge problem. Communication is a huge problem that goes across the board. That, that's whether you're in a relationship, a personal relationship, a marital relationship, uh, uh, the the would all of them relate the, the shifts, okay? All of them shifts that you win, all of this boils down to effect an effective way to communicate. A parental relationship, you know, you have to know how to communicate with your child. You have to know how to, you know, when it comes down to you communicating with your grandparents, when it comes down to you, a lot of what we suffer through can be helped if we all learn the common ground of communication, which is understanding. Everybody wants to be right. Everybody wants to, you to be wrong. And it, it doesn't get resolved that way. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? It's just that simple. And if you can't understand what I'm saying, help me help you understand what I'm trying to get across. Whether you agree or not, let us, let us come to the understanding that we at least can understand. Right. And, and this is where it even comes through with grief. People would say, well, you got you just got to get over it. People tell you the same crap with trauma. Well, you just you just need you. you it happened. And now you need to move forward. It happened to me. Therefore, you can't tell me how I need to move forward. Because it didn't happen to you. I need you to understand that this happened to me and this is how I got to process through everything. Everything is a process in life. And I think that that's probably one of the reasons why we touched on parenting so much and, and children so much, because we have to be responsible for what we are raising, period. And just because I was raised one way does not make it right for the children that I have, right? We have to learn from the generation, just like how I said my mother was. She clearly learned from non-pop and her non-popping self, okay? Because if we said something smart, it was a pop, pop, and a pop. Christopher said something smart. It was, no, I could understand that. What? You know what I'm saying? But you, when you know better, you do better. And I think that a lot of that, the, the negative reinforcement um, has damaged a lot of us, right? 
the negative reinforcement and if we haven't done a lot of positive reinforcement. So I just think that this is part of the reason why I wanted to have this this this, this, this level of a discussion um, and the aspect of children to bring children into it because nine times out of 10, when you're 50 years old and you still got to deal with five-year-old you, We seeing it in the we seeing it in the news every day, right? Look at John Gray. Mm -hmm. Perfect we're example. We dealing with sixteen year old him. Yeah, I'm just saying. You you see it in the news. You see people every day who John Gray is the example because he says, you know, he has to heal his inner little boy, right? You hear a lot of women talk about. You have to, they have to go back and heal the inner little girl. Um, and so we have to, let's start that healing at the baseline that we talked about earlier before we get to the point that we're in crisis, that a relationship fell apart, that someone passed away, that, you know, some type of crisis that spiraled us down and now we're going through all these many things. Let's start dealing with stuff at the baseline. Let's not make therapy a taboo thing. Let's have discussions around it. Let's start having discussions in our home about how do you feel? No, not I'm okay. Okay is not a feeling. Let me say that again. Oh, I'm okay is not a feeling. How you feel or do you feel good? Are you tired? Are you happy? Are you sad? Let's start dealing with feelings. And let's be okay for that person to feel how they feel. And you be okay that they feel that way. Don't get angry because at them because they're angry. You know, we do that a lot. I don't even know why you mad. Now you mad at me because I'm mad because somebody did me wrong and I'm mad at that person who did me wrong. Right. Let's stop brushing stuff under the rug mm -hmm. because we have many dysfunctional um, relationships and things like that because we swept things under the rug and now we we have that 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 heal that used to be something really, really small that we never dealt with. So let's deal with the root of the issues so we can have productive citizens that can think for themselves and walk and live in their authentic, true self and, and make decisions that is wise for them and not because somebody else said, this is what I should do. And so what we have going on right now, and a lot of times that many people are not able to make their own decisions, we are waiting for people to tell us what to do. But let's start producing children and adults that be able to think critically and not have to wait for someone else to tell them what to do and how to move. How I like that. All right, so we're going to end it right there because I like that. Stop <laughs> producing, I'm dead, I'm dead serious. Stop producing children that just have to sit around and wait for someone to tell them what to do. 
cultivate them in a way in which they can think critically so that they can then analyze and make informed decisions for themselves. That is the key. That is. Okay. Yep. And then whatever is genetic, whatever is biological, whatever that, all that stuff is, we can deal with that. Okay. There are pills to help with things that are genetic and biological, but there are not, <laughs> there's not too many pills that can help with a child not being able to think, not being able to make an informed um, decision and not being able to communicate how they feel. That is not okay. And everyone should be able to communicate with how communicate how they feel because okay is not a feeling. Point blank period. Gail said that to me earlier this week. I was like, what it's not? Y'all know. <laughs> I was like, what it's not? Who says who? It's not a feeling, but I feel all right. I'm okay. What is okay? Good. <laughs> But we have to come to that realization, right? Like, right. no, no, describe what you feel and say it, okay? Okay is not a feeling. Okay is a descriptive term for something else. So what is it? What is it that you are really feeling? Are you upset? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you uh, content? Are you disgruntled? We got all these good words in this good dictionary and we want to say, okay. No, I'm not okay. And it's okay to not be okay. And I think everybody needs to realize that it is okay to not be okay. And it is okay to voice that you are not okay. And it is okay to get help when you are not okay. But like they said, let's do it at this good baseline. Find your baseline. And then find, build, find it. Yeah, find, 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 sorry. I might have watched what's love got to do with it. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that what he did? Sorry. That's what he did. Mm -hmm. better find find your baseline okay find it okay find the baseline because that's important you don't want to necessarily get into your good crisis mode and um next thing you know you're spiraling because you don't want to spiral um but if you do find yourself in crisis and you do find yourself spiraling seek out help because that that's probably one of the best things that you will ever do for your life in order to save your life you know what I'm saying? It's just save you. You know, we we, we are here uh, because we want to save the people. We want to help the people. And one of the reasons why I did this topic, I keep saying it, is because I just want to help people to understand that if you are suffering, it is okay to go get help. Point blank, period. And um, you don't have to suffer in silence and you don't have to suffer alone. Um, and there is a community out here ready, willing, and able to help you. There are licensed social workers. There are licensed clinical social, social workers. There are psychiatrists. There are psychologists and all them other ones that fall in between there because there's a lot <laughs> more. Okay? There's a lot more. They got ones that specialize in trauma. Like Gail said, they got some that specialize in, in behavior. There are other ones that really specialize in the analytical, cognitive, whatever's going on in your good brain, all that type of stuff. They got all these specialties. And you need to find the specialty that will truly work for you. Everything is, everyone is not going to be the right fit, but find your right fit. Right. And go after it, seek after it, get it. And parents, y'all heard it from the ones that's working with your little children. And I said it, children, them. <laughs> Help your kids at an early age. Help okay. me help your kids. <laughs> At an early age. 
Okay. At an early age. If you see that little Joe might need somebody to talk to because little Joe ain't expressive, send him to go get help. If you see little Kate is just sitting there all, send them to go get help. They should be able to communicate. Period. And if they can't communicate, huh? See something, say something. That's it. Go get them help because um, it, it, it's imperative. We don't want any more broken, battered, and, bu- and uh, bruised. You know what? I, I, this may happen. Uh, remember, never mind. I'll say it offline. <laughs> um, but we don't want any more broken, battered, and bruised children. We want to help them and we want to save them. And that's what we're about. Tuning in to the Muzzle Is Off podcast. Um, next week, I'm going to tell y'all we are not going to be live next week. We will be live the following week. Okay. Um, this topic has been a lot. And sometimes you have to break it up. And that's what I'm going to do. So next week, Wednesday, we will not be live, but we will be live the following week. And we'll be, we will be live with uh, Tamara P. Fields, a.k.a. Mother. Uh, Mother Tamara P. Fields is a licensed clinical social worker. And um, when we come back, which will be on the 30th, um, we are going to really focus on this road to healing. Because what I've done, I've, I've which unbeknownst to me, because I just do things and, and then it just works out in the way in which I like for it to work out. Um, we've provided a lot of informational um, context surrounding mental health, right? Um, we have not necessarily hit in detail on the actual road to healing, right? We've told you go seek help. We've told you why we feel like you need to go seek help. But now we're gonna break down that road to healing because for every person that road to healing is going to be different, it's going to look different, it's gonna feel different. And I think that it is imperative that people begin to understand that that road to healing is is not always uh, peaches and cream, uh, strawberries and roses, uh, you know, all that good lilac, all that gets good, good, you know, and uh, and jasmine. I'm just naming all the scents I like. I don't care. <laughs> Bergamot. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it some it ain't that. And I, I think that we need to um, unpack that road to healing so that people uh, will have a realistic view on how it looks. Okay, from a clinical standpoint, one whom is a clinical social worker, one whom is one that can counsel. Um, we need to take that and, and, and take it on a, on a deeper level uh, so that people will begin to understand how does this look and also how does this feel, right? Because one minute you can be up, next minute you can be down, one minute you can be mellow, whatever the case may be. And um, Mother Mother Tamara Fields is, 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 is a beast with what she does. Um, and and um, I, I believe that she's going to close us out uh, in in the conversation uh, with the road to healing as far as mental health, mental wealth. Are you okay? So thank y'all for tuning in tonight. Like I said, next week is our, is, a, is a breather. 
Um, we will be back the following week and we, we, we just, we're going to take it home with this road to healing. So everybody have a great night and I'm looking forward to seeing y'all tune in on the 30th. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.